This is Totally Pro League, the final Totally Pro League for this inaugural Pro League season. And to uh, go through all of the upcoming finals calculations and look back over the season that has been as well, Keely Dunn joins me. And Keely, welcome again. Good, good morning, John. What I can't believe you asked me back. Oh, well, no, you've, you've, you're one person I know who's been right across the Pro League and what's been going on because of seen your posts and I know you've been up and about watching the games and taking them in. I I did a little retrospective in my in my head and realized that there was only the one game that I didn't watch and that was when GB women were in New Zealand and for some reason the entire broadcast just didn't happen. It it did not show up on Bleacher Report and there is no replay available there or on FH Live. So I have missed one of the Pro League games. I tell you what, that's a pretty good effort because there's been, let's see, uh, 72 women's games and um, another 56 men's games. So that's a fair amount of hockey to have to get through, plus all the <laughs> FIA final series, the series finals, etc. It's been mad. Yeah, so it's look, been, absolutely. The, the last couple of weeks have been mad too with the number of games that have been going on. What we'll do is uh, just very quickly go through these results from the last week. Only a couple of games really mattered, uh, as it turned out, because um, the finals were pretty much set last week. Certainly all the women's finalists were decided. And uh, the men's, there was just one place up for grabs, uh, and that was the fourth position. Great Britain and Argentina fighting for that. So first up uh, last week on the 19th of June, yeah, the men got things underway with game number 132. It was at Kampong in Utrecht, Netherlands taking on Argentina. And this is one of the important games where Argentina needed to pick up some points at least to put a bit of bit more of a gap between them and Great Britain. And they, they did manage to uh, pick up points, but not enough as it turned out. Uh, the, the game finished in a two-all draw after being locked one-all at half-time. Uh, goals to Netherlands in the 17th minute, then Argentina in the 23rd. Netherlands struck back in the 41st minute with Argentina picking up a goal nine minutes before full-time to make it two-all, and then uh, taking out the, um, the shootout, four goals to two in the end. And, well, one thing Argentina have been is pretty good at the shootouts, Keely. Yeah, it's it's almost like they're taking a page out of the Spanish book yeah. and sitting back a little bit, they'll let a couple goals get scored on them, and then they totally pull a Houdini and then, you know, do some brilliant pieces of skill and uh, very much kind of one-on-one oriented and get in there and score some glamorous field goals and and then yeah manage to pull something out in the shootout so it's it's a tough way to go though and I think the Spanish men would tell you that maybe it's not the best approach for this kind of tournament. No it doesn't appear to be and and look they'll the Argentinian men, they've got a lot of reasons to look back on other games and shake their head a little bit, but this is one they should because they had got the win there. They were home and hosed and into the finals. At, uh, next up, 
we go to uh, another men's game, number 133. It's on the 19th in Antwerp, Australia taking on Belgium. Our Belgium coming off the back, I think, it was their last week victory 8-0, or it might have been the victory before against Germany. They're in really good form. They're looking hot at the right end of the season. But Australia do what Australia do. They just grind down teams. And Blake Govers scoring a, a brace there for Australia to uh, lead them to a 2-0 victory. And I know the Europeans aren't going to like it, but Australia are looking real good for this tournament. Oh, they sure do. And I think um, I think we're going to talk about this a little bit more in detail later. But it, I think their discipline is what's really impressed me the most. And it it's probably easier to not uh, be on the receiving end of cards when you're you're playing well enough. You don't have to break the play down as often. You don't have to do those little things to try to ensure that the ball isn't going into your own net. But they really and that and that was an interesting game for that because it was a very much a contrast in discipline. Belgium were really getting frustrated and taking out their frustrations on the umpires a little bit, and the, the Aussies were just going about their business and not worrying about that at all. So. Um, for a game that didn't mean anything, it actually seemed to mean quite a bit for those two teams, and they were trying to, I think, set things up for next weekend. Yeah, it's something that Grant um, Schubert brought up last week, the idea he, he was looking to, at these games to see if one team could get an advantage over one of the other teams in the, the matches involving teams that were going to be playing in the finals. Um, the women backed it up for Australia and Belgium uh, on the 19th there in Antwerp, and well, it was a really intriguing game, I thought, this one. Belgium won in the end, uh, thanks to a goal in the 54th minute to number 30, Ambre Bellengein, I think that's how you pronounce the name, uh, from a penalty corner. But um, an intriguing defensive battle almost. Uh, it was almost a few mistakes I wasn't expecting as well. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was pretty back and forth, and it seemed like Australia just couldn't figure out what they wanted to do uh, throughout the game. They just looked at, at, at a bit of sixes and sevens, and um, Ballengan's goal at the end was just, it was so much fun. She's actually, we're only halfway through 2019, but she's my pick already for the FIHM Star Award for next year. If if anybody else gets it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really be shaking my head, because she's just been absolutely sparkling on attack and brought this, this energy to um, to Belgium that they've they've not had I, I don't think for for most of the last uh, couple decades so really really interesting game to watch like you said um, from the mistakes but that's what it takes for an upstart team is just just to hang on long enough and and capitalize on the the front of corner opportunities that you get. And I think uh, you know especially considering Belgium were not really playing for anything ladder position wasn't going to change for them. Um, they're probably the the really success good news story out of the whole women's pro league, considering they're very much a developing team. I mean, Argentina, uh, Netherlands finished on top. We all know they're good. Um, they, they've been a really good story for the pro league. Yeah, really exciting. And I think that um, what you're going to see is sort of the as this program moves forward, you're going to see the benefits. They've been able to play against the absolute top-class opposition uh, a little bit unexpectedly since they did come into the Pro League later and, uh, you know, prior to it starting, but later in the selection process. And then being able to benefit from all those games is just going to be incredible for the program going forward. And it's, you know, it'll it'll illustrate 
on the good side of things, what being a have is like in, in the FIH. Now, moving on now to uh, the 20th of June, match 136 at Kampong in Utrecht. It was the Netherlands taking on Argentina, number one and two in the women's side of the Pro League. And it was a, a game encapsulated in a quarter, Keely. Uh, nil all at the end of the first period. 2-1 at half-time, 2-1 at full-time. Um, two teams slogging it out at each other, and they just went bang, bang, bang in that third quarter. Uh, Second quarter, goals in the 22nd minute to Argentina, then in the 24th minute to Netherlands, and again in the 26th minute to the Netherlands. Uh, two of them field goals as well, one a penalty corner. So there was a, it was quite a, an action-packed quarter that one, but for the rest of it, pretty much a dour battle. You know, it's it's funny because I I love the dour battles, I guess, because oh, I yeah. just get really into the the, the defensive stuff, but. Um, this was a lot to me like the Belgium-Australia men's game in that it was a an opportunity to send messages. And I think the Dutch were just, you know, happy to be there. They're rolling along. They've got no pressure on them whatsoever in that kind of setting. And then as the game wore on, you could tell that uh, the Leonas were getting more and more frustrated. They, you know, really wanted to be able to at least just, you know, stick a couple pins in the game and, and you know, let them know, hey, this is going to be no walkover when we get to Amstelby next weekend. And it just didn't quite, just didn't quite come off. And, and that's the thing. You can't, you can't let the Dutch get their teeth into a game because crawling back just isn't going to happen. You've got to get out in front of them and then frustrate them from the lead. So, so it was a, it, it was a little bit, yeah, it, maybe not exciting in terms of scoring opportunities generated, but I really enjoyed I thought it was the best game of the week, really, in terms of quality of play and execution. And, and then you had Sarah Wilson and Lorraine Delforge, who, in my mind, are the two best umpires in the world on the game. And, again, that was a setup for next weekend. So I, re- I really enjoyed it. Oh, it was, very, it was an intriguing match, that's for sure. And, you know, they are both very, very good teams. <laughs> um, yep. I'm not sure the Dutch aren't right for the picking at the moment, but we'll get to that a bit later on. Uh, next up, we're at Spooky Nuke. You're part of the world. Well, not quite yours, but that side of the globe. Um, it's the United States taking on Germany. I'm not sure why this game was scheduled where it is at this particular time, but it's ended up there. And uh, probably Germany, lucky to get away with a victory there. One all at half-time, goals to the US in the 19th minute and then Germany in the 20th minute. Germany uh, broke it open a little bit when they scored in the 34th minute and then again in the 39th minute to take a, a 3-1 lead. But then right on the cusp of uh, three-quarter time, the USA managed to score another goal to make it 3-2. Uh, try as they might, they couldn't get that equaliser, let alone the winner in the end of Germany managing to take the three points there. Um, what did you make of that match? I didn't catch this one, Keely. Um, it was, it was a tough watch. Um, <laughs> Germany definitely looked a little less potent going forward. Losing Stappenhorst, uh, yeah. is really going to hurt them next weekend. She really is, is all of the energy and, and, and a really positive energy for them on attack and her creativity just stands right out and, uh, you know, it's it's really sad for them, and I, th- I think they were stumbling around a little bit to find that. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Grota scored her fourth penalty corner goal of the Pro League, and, I mean, here's a player who captained the Junior World Cup side in 2013, I think it was, yeah. and then 
didn't get a first senior cap until the pro league. So what an interesting story. I mean, at least that's what the statistics say. And uh, she's turning into a real uh, option. If uh, uh, Nico Lorenz isn't on, then they can go to Grota for the drag flick, and, and she's really performing. But, you know, it was, it was kind of sad. I, I would have liked to see the U.S., you know, do something special on home soil. Uh, as much as I'm Canadian, I, I still like the underdogs. So, yeah. Uh, but they just they just don't have it. They're they're not in the class uh, for this tournament. Yeah, it's a funny thing. I mean, they lose one player and a very good player, the Germans. But you know, these are the opportunities that sometimes, if if the right person takes them, uh, it it can actually work out well for Germany. It's not likely to happen. It's a hard play. Stavanos is a hard player to replace, but there there is is an opportunity there for someone else to stick their hand up and and make a mark, and especially in the finals. I mean, you can make a career off a couple of games of hockey. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a tough ask, though. It's it's not like you've got an entire you know five or six game tournament to get into it. They've it, it, it's do or die both games, and I. I think for a team like Germany, who's still—it it sounds weird to say Germany is rebuilding, but they are a little bit. They're—they're they're definitely working, you know, up towards uh, where they want to go and still testing out some some fairly young players. And I—I I think it's going to be really tough for them to find that identity that's really going to pull something special out next weekend in Anselvine. Next, we move on to another men's game. It was at the uh, Wagner Hockey Stadium. In Amsterdam, which will be the venues for the finals this weekend, two teams that will be featuring in the finals and may yet end up playing each other, the Netherlands and Australia. Uh, a fascinating game, if only because of the scoreline. Uh, the Australians running out, in some ways, comfortable 4-1 winners. They took a 2-1 lead in at, at the first period. After goals in the fifth and seventh minute, with uh, oh, sorry, fifth and fourteenth minute, with Netherlands scoring in between in the seventh minute, and then Australia piled on a couple more goals. They picked one up in the eighteenth minute, three-one at half time, and then another goal in the third, right at the end of the third quarter to make it four-one. Um, it was almost un-Dutch-like the, the display. I think the longer the game went, the less and less heart the, the Dutch players had in it. Yeah, it was it was an extremely strange game, and this was the one that had the uh, the two hour delay because oh, the, the watering, watering system right. broke down. Yes, and so the and, and I'm trying to remember who the color the commentator was on the game, and but you know they they spoke about dry turf throughout the entire match because obviously the oh, really? even with the fire brigade coming out. <laughs> oh yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, what a surprise! And, <laughs> and what, what was hilarious is that, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of an expert of playing on dry turf because our water cannons, you know, don't work for, you know, most yeah. of the games that we play uh, here in Calgary for some mysterious reason. So I, I had a lot of sympathy for the players, not that it ever affects my extreme lack of skill, but I, I could see the moments, yes, where it was a little bit tougher that the ball got stuck under the stick where normally it would slide along the turf and that sort of thing. But um, it, it kind of goes with the stereotypes. And, again, it's the Aussie DNA of the competitiveness. They're not going to let anything stop them from uh, putting everything out there on the field where it seemed like the Dutch were just, uh, can I call them mercurial? And they just didn't respond to 
the delay that the, the way that you know they needed to in that kind of game. So it put them in a little bit of a dangerous spot, but. Um, that that's why the Dutch are Dutch. You just don't know what you're going to get, <laughs> you know, these days with them. <laughs> One thing I did think at the time, though, was that if if, if that situation is going to advantage anybody, it would be Australia because these guys would play on dry out pitches all the time. It is it is not uncommon thing for a pitch to dry out during a game here. Uh, oh yeah. So it could have been a little bit of an advantage to the Australians there, perhaps. Um, <laughs> Anyway, but it, it was a good victory for them leading into the finals this weekend, and uh, I'm not sure how much we can actually take out of it because of the delay and, and all those other issues that went along with that. It, it's not going to be the same game if they meet, meet each other in the finals. Yeah, and it, it just wasn't the same Dutch team. And I mean, I'm not sure what the same Dutch team is these days. I went through their results, and I remember their performances over the course of the Pro League, and, and I really have no idea what they're going to be bringing to the table yeah. because they can be utterly brilliant, and then they can also just not really care. So I'm not sure what we're going to see this weekend. Now, we're going a bit out of order here for the games because it's, uh, it's the games numbers aren't quite in the order that we got to see them. But uh, next up, the uh, Australian women took on the Dutch women at uh, the Wagoner Stadium. Uh, match number 140 this one was and it was a, a fairly comfortable and comprehensive victory to the Netherlands in the end. They managed to score in the 14th minute to take a lead into the first quarter break and they kept that lead all the way through until the last quarter uh, where they went bang bang and scored in the 54, 51st and 54th minute effectively ending the game. Australia did snatch one back in the 57th minute. They went with them for a while, the Australian girls, um, but just couldn't get the break they needed to put some pressure back onto the Dutch. And in the end, uh, perhaps stretching themselves a bit, left themselves open and, and conceded. And that was the game. Yeah. It, I contrasted this with the game that they played in Melbourne, where Australia scored that rather historical victory, yeah. uh, the, the one nothing win. And it, it was a, I, I think it was a quite a different approach where the Aussies came out and they were, they put so much more pressure on at the beginning. They, they snatched that early goal in, well, it was the second quarter where Claxton scored in the 21st minute. And then they were, they were able to kind of hand it over to Rachel Lynch and, you know, here, frustrate the Dutch now for the, the rest of the game. And, like I said before, uh, in this match, you saw the Dutch get their teeth into it, and if you let them score the first goal, you're just you're done for because yeah. they're so good at playing with that lead, and they just keep they keep constructive possession, and then they're they're forcing you to defend. If you don't go at them uh, with pressure right from the beginning, I don't think you stand a chance of winning. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see if these teams uh, match up in. I'm predicting the final uh, in the in Nam Slovene. I think I'd like to see Australia take a different approach. Don't be defensive. Don't sit back. Don't wait for them to come at you. You go with them. You do what Aussie does best, which is that massive press, and just throw caution to the wind because nobody's expecting you to to win against the Dutch in that game. And uh, yeah, we'll talk more about the, the chances of the, both the Netherlands and Australia in the finals <laughs> a little bit later. Next up, though, and I said we're going out of order, so we're going to a couple of women's games now. Uh, Belgium versus Argentina first up in Antwerp, and uh, the Argentinians managed to 
get over the disappointment of their game against the Dutch and pick up a 2-1 victory over what we've seen has been a very good Belgium side across the, the Pro League. They scored in the 17th and 23rd minute to be leading 2-0 at half-time and uh, the Belgians pulled back a goal in the 60th minute but they, they couldn't get the equaliser couldn't manage to break down the Argentinians and um, I think the Argentinian girls would be happy that that's the way they're going into the uh, the finals with a win and uh, knowing exactly who their opponent they'll be facing at some stage, I dare say the Netherlands, and how they're going to play. Yeah, I uh, it, this, was, this was a tough game, a game to watch because I really wanted to see Belgium do something more special. Their last game of the Pro League at home but they were under the hawk for the entire game. The front six of Argentina was just swarming them, and they had no time on the ball. They, they had no chance to put anything together. They, they got some occasional runs where things burst through, and, and, and they were able to, uh, to sneak out and get something going, but that it's so energy-sapping to have to, de- to defend as much as they did in that game, and so it was an easy... I, an easy win for Argentina, and I, I would hate to face that team. The you know the match after they've lost to the Dutch because they certainly were just no t- they were not taking prisoners at all. No, none. Um, and uh, you know ensured they finished where they did in the Pro League table for Argentina. Next up, it's uh, Great Britain versus New Zealand at the Stoop once again. The women's game, and uh, well, it wasn't a game that much was resting on at all. A lot of pride, I would dare say, for the uh, the Great Britain girls at home at a fabulous venue, as it turned out to be. Great scenes there at the Stoop in London. And I know everybody who attended the event has been raving about it. Uh, I wish I had been there now. Uh, it's, it's good to see for the game. Yeah, it was incredible. Watching it on TV, you really got those goosebumps and you really had the sense that it was something special. And they did a great job. Uh, it was very professional, very well put together. You, you wouldn't have imagined that they had thrown that pitch down within the 10 days prior to the tournament and were able to get that quality of match, that quality of presentation out of it. So big kudos to England and GB Hockey uh, for for getting that going. So Yeah, and the, well done the to manufacturers them. and everybody involved putting, putting it together. There appeared to be absolutely no problem whatsoever with the pitch, and there's been no reports of... You know, players may say it might have been bouncing funny or there was pace problems or anything like that. So, well done to everybody involved. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the score? Well, Great Britain did the crowd the right thing. They won. 3-1. Nil all. Tough first period, but they managed to crack the game in the 23rd minute with a goal and then backed it up in the 34th minute and the 42nd minute as well. Great. Uh, New Zealand managed to score just before three-quarter time to make it 3-1. But uh, that's where the game ended up, at 3-1. Great Britain, a, probably a disappointing season, but a good way to go out. New Zealand, oh, gee, it was all in front of them. They could have been there at the finals, but uh, just didn't pull it together when it mattered the most during it, you know, in crucial games. Yeah, I wonder how much the coaching instability had an effect on their entire campaign, because... It did look look disjointed, and it looked like they they were losing momentum at times, and then they would get a little bit back, and then they would lose it again. and And that game was fascinating because it seemed like New Zealand was really shocked to be playing themselves all of a sudden. 
Um, the, the GB team came out and were really pressing them, forcing turnovers in the neutral area. And it's, and it seemed like the Blackstairs were like, wait, what, what is this? Isn't this what we do? And, um, they just weren't able to come up with an answer. Yeah. Um, you make a good point about the, uh, the coaching situation. I, I'm not sure if it's actually the change of the coach that was, um, disruptive, but there, I mean, New Zealand's a long way from, everyone else and in New Zealand itself it was very much a, a subject of discussion on on sports media programs etc because of the nature of the personalities of the people involved as well and um, the broader implications it may or may not have with it for sport within New Zealand so um, I'm not sure that we fully understand that some of the pressures that the team might have been feeling at the time that from outside we wouldn't have been aware of yeah, that's that's a really good point. And okay. then going back to the game itself, the yeah. uh, I, I mean, G, GB was was good money for the win. They they certainly did deserve it, but um, two of the goals were actually a little bit uh, perhaps questionable and took took some of the momentum out of the game. And and you know there were a lot of discussion points coming out of that for the uh, the umpire and the family. Let's put it that way. And uh, a lot of interesting esoteric discussions about it, particularly that second goal in the penalty corner. So um, it, it was interesting to have that. Sorry, Kelly. Are these discussions about right or wrong, or are we talking about interpretations of rules? Um, well, I mean, there obviously the first goal, when we saw it on the replay later, we did see that it went off Martin's body. So, you know, you know, good on her for um, having a leg of steel and not showing the, <laughs> any pain when it hit her and careened into the net. Um, and surprising that New Zealand didn't notice it, but hey, it's it's the way it goes sometimes. Uh, the second goal off the penalty corner was, um, it's a very esoteric discussion, definitely a matter of discussion, whether the first hit on goal was... The, the, when the ball was hit from the top of the circle, was that actually a shot at goal or not? And it involves arguing about whether they intended to score and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, I mean, I felt like it was a good goal. I, I was not mad at how it was applied in the, in the moment, but, uh, there are definitely discussions going on, uh, yeah. that perhaps there's some wording issues that we have to look at in that, uh, penalty corner rule. Oh, look at that on the reverse stick at some stage, no doubt. Let's get on to the last <laughs> couple of games. And, uh, well, they, these were two games that meant something on the day because it involved Great Britain and Argentina. And first up, it was Argentina taking on Belgium. Now, at this stage, Argentina, uh, three points clear of Great Britain on the table in fourth place. However, with a far less superior goal percentage, they, uh, th- they needed to get at least a point out of this game against Belgium. And uh, it wouldn't have mattered what Great Britain did, whether they won, lost, or whatever happened there. They were going to play in finals. Big game, couldn't pull it off. Belgium, we know they're a very, very good team. Uh, but they got things underway in the first minute with a goal. Argentina just weren't switched on to start with. A, another goal in the 13th minute, and then one in the 34th minute. And one in the 43rd minute. They were four zip up before Argentina managed to claw one back in the 55th minute. Too little, too late. Very disappointing in such a big game. They clearly didn't turn up to play. No, they didn't. I was, I just sat there watching, saying, "What the hell? Like this is this is everything. This is this is your match." But 
I I wonder, and we we talked about this earlier, that um, perhaps at this point of the campaign, when things were close, that Argentina just looked at it and said, you know what, we've got the Pan Am Games coming up as our direct qualification path to the Olympics. It's a lot easier than going through this pro league final and then going, you know, to a qualifier event after that. So maybe they just decided, hey, let's just focus our energy on that because realistically, they have the easiest direct path of qualification. Yeah. than any of the teams in the Pro League. Um, Canada is, you know, doing really, really well, but they still aren't at the level that Argentina is right now, and they haven't been for the last decade. So I think that uh, they're feeling, the Argentina's feeling very confident going into the Pan Am Games, and just, they just didn't, their heart was not there whatever whatsoever. Yeah, most disappointing too, especially knowing that, you know, <laughs> Conceding all those goals to really stuff up their goal percentage at the end, they they just didn't look interested. You're right, and as though the game was meaning anything to them, to be quite honest, which left the gate open for Great Britain, who uh, took on uh, New Zealand at the stoop, and they would have been fully aware of what was going on in uh, in Belgium. They had to get a win. To go through, they would have, a win would give them the same amount of points and a superior goal difference. And, uh, it turned out that way. A 2-0 victory to Great Britain. A goal in the sixth minute. And then they had to wait to seal the game until the 52nd minute. And you could really see the win come out of the New Zealand sails when that second goal went in. Uh, immediately after they were, they just looked like it was a bridge too far. I think they put in a really good effort to try and, um, you know, spice up the finals of, the permutations for teams a little bit. I think they seriously wanted to defeat Great Britain, but um, in the end, it was uh, just a trip too far for them. Yeah, I, I think having watched all of their games coming through, I was really impressed with how they had um, really upped their performance for the European leg of this entire Pro League. Yeah. And they they were playing with purpose. They were being much more constructive together. They were going in groups and that was making a big difference, and it was showing in the results. But for me, watching that game, all of a sudden they reverted back to the black sticks when they were playing at home and mysteriously just didn't even look like a side who knew each other's names. They just they, they couldn't put anything together. It was long ball after long ball, trying to pierce through, um, setting, setting guys up with um, a solo attack, a 1v3, a 1v4 at the, at the top, and... Um, for me, I was again, I was a little disappointed that New Zealand didn't bring more of a um, a solid game plan into that, or they just didn't deploy the solid game plan that they had um, going in. But you know, it's been it's it's a tough ask when you haven't won any games in the Pro League whatsoever to hey go into this eleven thousand uh, seat stadium and with all this hype going on and GB's got everything on the line and go ahead and pull out the underdog wins. So, yeah, big ask for sure. But I would have liked to see more from them. Yeah, I mean, if, if we kept stats like uncontested possessions in hockey, uh, you know, Brendan Creed, they would have run out of ink in his uncontested goal. <laughs> I mean, some of those guys in the back were just picking balls off and doing as they pleased without any pressure at all. And uh, it, it was... It, on odd occasions, you'd see a New Zealand forward try and get up there and put some pressure on these guys, but for the majority of the game, they just wandered around and had a hit of the hockey ball, basically. Yep. <laughs> Look, we're going to take a quick break. 
Keely, and we're going to come back with goal scorers and tables and what it all means. Looking forward to the finals. <laughs> You're listening to Totally Pro League. We're heading into that last weekend in June. It's FIH finals time. It's now a good chance to look at uh, the goal scorers for the regular season of the FIH Pro League and how the tables turned up. And we'll even find out who's been good and bad on the naughty chairs. First up, let's get to the goal scorers for the Women's League. Leading the goal scoring is, guess who? She's led it all season, Olivia Merry. Uh, a fantastic effort in a team that didn't make the finals. She scored 15 goals in total, nine from the field, three penalty corners and three strokes, and she beat all comers by a six-goal difference to second place. So a fantastic effort there from Olivia, and she's uh, the out-and-out top goal scorer for the Pro League as well. Um, totally, she beat the men's top scorer, uh, who is, I won't get there, but he get there in a minute but by five goals so a great season yeah she did (laughs) very excited for her that's really great news uh in second place was frederick matler who pinged a couple home on the weekend to take her tally to nine six from the field two penalty corners and a penalty stroke and in third place equal third place Four equal third places. Savannah Fitzpatrick from Australia, Lily Owsley from Great Britain, Charlotte Stappenhorst, who unfortunately won't be getting any more goals in this pro league, and uh, Kai Van Mansaka from the Netherlands. They all finished with six goals. Um, um, the Kai Van Mansaka, all for penalty corners, um, and Charlotte Stappenhorst, all from the field. And the rest had a bit of a mixture there. Keely, a total of 251 goals across 72 games. It's an average of 3.48 across the season. And uh, 151 field goals at 60.15%. Any standout for you in particular? There's so many bloody good goals across the men's and women's. I don't know which one you'd pick as a goal of the year. Oh, yeah, they were incredible ones. The one that Granado scored against Belgium um, earlier in the week, just this week, was just fantastic. Little delicate 3D skills, nothing too high, just nice and low, just getting over sticks, and then uh, almost a, a mix of an upright reverse and a tomahawk. Um, just hammering that goal was amazing. There was, there was a lot of great performances. We saw some drive flickers coming out, yeah. which is nice because I think – the the women's game was was moving away from drag flicks because I think the balance of the abilities of the goalkeepers we just we've got this incredible um, uh, group of top women keepers now who really are tough to beat yeah. uh, on a straight shot and so that kind of had gone away but when you see uh, Lorenz had some nice drag flicks. Um, and, uh, you know, Owsley and Balsden and, and of course, Van Massica doing what Van Massica does. So I think it was a nice balanced uh, mix of scoring and, and lots of great goals. I think the thing that was most exciting for me is I didn't see any zeros or ties. You know, we, we didn't have right. any zeros or results whatsoever throughout, and, uh, and that's great. That's, it's good for the game. Uh, uh, the Chinese girl, uh, is it Kui Gu? That she scored a fantastic goal early on in the season. I think it might have been China's first goal of the tournament, actually. And there were, yeah, I think you, I think you pronounce it Go, but go. yeah, it's 
yeah, she's she's their drag flicker, and she she can do some amazing things. And the, the Chinese actually had a couple of really really simple penalty corner variations that I really liked. I mean, the, a lot of the variations you see at at the top level are well complex, but they you know they're very difficult to pull off. You need to be highly skilled. Whereas these were Saturday afternoon specials, a couple of them. Yeah, well coached in that respect because I think the thing that really let down the Chinese. In free play was when they got into the circle, they just kind of went, ah, and, and didn't know how to, you know, bear down and really finish. Yeah. So keeping it simple in the penalty corners is going to give players like that their best chance to get the ball in the net. So that, that's good coaching. Well, we'll be sending out the Totally Pro League, um, chocolate hockey stick. It's wrapped in gold, gold paper, but it's, uh, yeah, should be getting the chocolate hockey stick from us for the top scorer. On the men's nice. side of things, Blake Govers from Australia takes out the uh, top goal scorer there, uh, scoring 10 goals equal with Pau Kamada. Uh, Pau's been on 10 goals for a couple of weeks, I think, if I just flick back through my, my research here, Keely. Yep, yeah, he was on 10 last week, and he was I think he's been on 10 four. goals for about... <laughs> I think yeah. he's been on 10 goals for, like, four months. He scored so. a lot early. Uh, but he sure did. Congratulations to both Blake and Pau. Um, Powell scored nine field goals in a penalty corner. Blake scored two field goals, seven penalty corners in a penalty stroke. And, geez, he can take those drag flicks, can't he? He knows where to put them. Oh, it's devastating. Uh, and in third place, standalone... Oh, second place, because we've got an equal first. Second place is Cedric Charlier from Belgium. He scored nine goals, eight from the field in a penalty corner. And Tom Boone... Uh, Phil Roper and Sam Ward all finished equal third. Uh, Tom from Belgium and uh, Phil and Sam, both from Great Britain, they are all on eight goals, total of 284 goals from 56 matches, going at five goals a game, certainly most of the men's games. There was, uh, there was plenty of action in the scoring circles. 197 field goals at 69.36%. The first time all season it has dipped below 70% and only just. So um, Colin Batch was right. The goal scoring rate would slow down during the tournament, Gilly. Yeah, uh, and I, I think you can really chalk a lot of that up to goalkeeping performances because at the beginning of the Pro League, Holy smokes, there was yeah. some not very great work going on between the pipes for quite a few teams, and, and I think... And defensive work as well. There was some there was some <laughs> blokes out the back left alone in large amounts of space on quite a few occasions. Yeah, exactly, and that completely started to, you know, th- that started to tighten up, you know, week after week, you saw better and better performances, and... And uh, I think that's what you're seeing reflected. Um, you know, some commentators might say that, well, it's, you know, the men are scoring more goals. And I think it's because, really, the women goalkeepers had a much more consistent campaign uh, all the way throughout. And, you know, keepers like Lynch were just absolutely on their heads in some games and, and really made the difference. And uh, once again, how do you pick a, a goal of the year? There was a handful that just stood out as just blistering goals and then you had the the drag flick some of the drag flicking was just sensational yeah absolutely i i uh i i think mirko purser was definitely worth the money on some of his uh takes um but what was that rocket that got scored uh past adam dixon or not adam dixon but um gibson uh a few weeks ago oh. german goal was uh, that Milkow? Yeah, I think so. Yes, it was. 
yeah, from that, that's the goal. That's the goal of the year on the men's side for sure, because that was ridiculous. I've never seen a projectile move that quickly from a human uh, um, send off. <laughs> just, just ridiculous. Yeah, we we played some uh, uh, audio of goals being scored earlier on in the in the Totally Pro League podcast, uh, and the sound that the ball made both off the stick and off the backboard. And yeah, I think Marco wins there. We'll give that the Keely Gun Keely Dunn goal of the year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Marco could get a chocolate hockey stick and Blake and Powell, they could both get chocolate hockey sticks as well for their winning the uh, Pro League Men's Leading Scorer Award. Let's get on to the table. Oh, before we get to the tables, Keely, let's have a look at the naughty chairs, shall we? Because uh, penalty cards for both the men and women. We'll start from with the men. There was a total of um, 102 green cards handed out across the 56 games, so... What's that, just under 50% or just under two a game? And uh, 24 yellow cards handed out, no red cards. That's always good to see no red cards handed out. Always good. And that's that's the kind of discipline I would expect to see at this level. When you're seeing red cards, you're seeing players who are doing things that are just outside the game and they're not permitted to take part in the game any further because it's just that bad. So... Yeah, I, I would expect to see that. If we had seen a red card, it would have been extremely dramatic. Now, you mentioned discipline in, in play, etc., like, and how that affects results. Uh, Australia and the Netherlands are the teams that seem to have the least number of cards handed out to them, both the number of players that received cards and the number of cards themselves, although Jurek Kroon and Bjorn Kellerman took up most of the Netherlands cards with seven greens between them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well done, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, but generally the men were pretty well behaved. I mean, Christopher Griffiths from Great Britain. I think he's the uh, the highest card individually winner. He's picked up four green cards um, alongside Bjorn, of course, Bjorn Kellerman. But apart from that, players generally were well behaved. Yeah, it was, I, I think what you saw was a regular application of a really high standard of game management from the uh, umpires. So I think of all the things that impressed me about the third team throughout the campaign is they did a really good job at seeing when play was getting broken down, whether it was that tackle coming in from behind that was very professional or it was pushing the ball away at that key moment or kicking it away or something like that. The one thing that I did notice in the last couple of weeks is we saw something creep in that we hadn't seen at all before, which were um, cards for dissent. And, I mean, these are the cards that umpires really don't like to give because it's something that isn't – it doesn't affect the other team. It's about the player and the umpire or the players and the umpire. And, and, and that's something that any umpire in a competitive situation doesn't want to bring in there. You want to try to manage it in other ways. But uh, there was a really neat moment um, in uh, a game in, I think it was in Germany, and uh, Jonas Vandhack had, had sent off a German player for swearing. And, of course, Jonas, Jonas is, is Dutch. And I think it was Granbush asked him, well, what did he say? And Jonas, very clearly over the broadcast, said, I'm not going to repeat that on television. You're not going to make me do that. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was a fascinating turnabout of uh, a player trying to play on language and say, well, you don't understand in our language what that word means. And Jonas saying, 
I don't, I'm not even going to repeat it because to do so would bring even more disrepute into the game. And, and so it was, uh, just a, a real big win for Jonas. So good job, buddy. That was, that was very well done. But, um, yeah, there were, there were three cards for descent all clumped in into that two weeks, which was kind of surprising for me, but that's what happens. The intensity level was raising and, uh, the standards needed to be set and maintained. On the women's side of things, 143 cards across the 72 games. So that's a little bit higher percentage than what the men went. For the green cards, 25 yellow cards handed out. A couple more notable players in the, in the women's side of things. Uh, uh, Anne Schroeder from Germany, she picked up the five green cards, only to be outdone by her teammate, uh, Nikki Lorenz, who picked up three green, but managed to bundle that with two yellow cards for a total of five. And, uh, you know, getting the extra points for the yellows. Um, and there's a couple of other players worthy of note in, in here as well. We had uh, Alex Gernius from Belgium picking up the four greens. And uh, there was one more here. Uh, Rosario Lucetti from uh, Argentina, the captain. Um, yeah, she picked up four cards as well, four green cards. Uh, a couple of yellow cards to Tessa Howard from uh, Great Britain as well. But... Overall, I, I at times sometimes felt like uh, in the in the ladies' side of things that they were being penalised with a green card for a tackle that maybe in a men's game you wouldn't cop a green card for. Is that um, that's just my perception? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that. What I, what I think is that um, I think there was an unusual amount of consistency over the pro week for. Um, <laughs> catching those breakdown tackles and the players didn't necessarily learn the lesson as early as they needed to. So I think um, just the, the standard of umpiring overall on the women's side was unusually high. Uh, let's put it that way in, in, in that kind of setting. And so they were catching the breakdowns, I think more often, and it doesn't have to look, it doesn't have to be physical. It doesn't have to be loud but it can be very cynical, and if that stops the flow and it does so in a way that is clearly intended just to create a foul so that everybody can flood back and get in front of the ball, that should be penalized properly. And I think, you know, there were only a couple games that I was watching where I thought, ooh, this isn't, you know, they're, they're not quite getting the, the, the ones that they need to get. Um, generally, I thought it was really, really well done. So I think that was more something that I think those teams are going to adjust to as the standard of umpiring uh, is it continues to be that high. They're going to realize, hey, we need to be a bit more disciplined in how we're uh, committing those tackles and whether we're hitting that ball away or something like that. And the only thing that surprises me about that whole card count is that Ann Shorter wasn't in the outright lead. <laughs> Now, let's, let's turn our attention to the tables now, Keely. First up for the women, didn't change from last weekend any of the results. So this, uh, the final standings, the Netherlands, after 16 games played for all teams, uh, finished with 15 wins and one losses, an outstanding season, 41 goals for, 10 against, a difference of 31, 45 points and a percentage of 93.8. Argentina in second place, they had 10 wins, four shootout, uh, wins and two losses, a total of 38 points to finish on 79.2% and a goal difference of plus 16. Uh, Australia finished in third, uh, nine wins, a shootout win and a shootout loss, five losses across the season, difference of 
plus 12, 30 points and 62.5 percent. And Germany finishing as well on nine wins. They had the two shootout losses though, which left them on 29 points. Uh, 60.4% and a goal difference of plus 10. Then we get to Belgium in fifth place, a couple of games behind. They finished with uh, six wins from their 16 games, 21 points and a percentage of 43.8. New Zealand, six wins as well, 18 points and 37.5%. Uh, China, four wins in the end, fairly credible performance from them, 14 points and 29.2%. Great Britain, a little bit disappointing, but understandable at the same time. Three wins, uh, picked up a couple of shootout wins as well, 14 points and 29.2% in the United States. At the foot of the table with just a single victory and 14.6 points. Um, yeah, well, I think in, in many ways uh, it's sort of ended up where the table where people thought teams would thereabouts be, didn't it, in some ways? Maybe Great Britain a place or two up and maybe New Zealand, but it's, it's pretty much fallen in as far as rankings go, as far as I can tell. Yeah, other, other than Belgium sneaking that out, and I think that's that's kind of the exciting part. Um, it's pretty boring that everybody finished up pretty much where they should have been, <laughs> I, I'll say that. Um, but... Um, I think Belgium, you know, obviously their performance as a whole was, you know, a wonderful surprise. Uh, they show that they've got some fantastic young talent coming through, like Ballengein and, and, you know, their, their overall cap total with their young players is just absolutely mind-boggling. So going forward, I think they've got the most potential upside. Um, GB showed some signs at the end of the campaign. There were a few players that came in later, like uh, Petter, and uh, Esme Burge, I think I said that right. Um, so some of the really young players got introduced into the campaign a little later, and they were absolutely fantastic. I think Petter won player of the game, actually, for the uh, the game at Stoop. And um, I, I think their cycle is going to be longer. I think Tokyo is, is too close for them. I think they're looking again for France as where they're really going to be peaking with the group that they're starting to uncover. And I think Hagar's still got some some adjustments that he's going to be making over the next couple of years where he's going to he's going to shake things up a bit, I think, when he starts to see where the talent uh, is lying in the GB system and the England system. On to the men's league now. And... A... Some interesting points to make about uh, what's happened with the men's league, but let's uh, go through the table first. Australia, the men only played 14, of course, games because of the withdrawal of Pakistan. Uh, Australia finished with 10 wins from their 14 games. No shootout wins, which is quite an uh, interesting point. Two shootout losses and two regular losses. Uh, 40 goals for, 26 against, and a difference of plus 14. 32 points at 76.2%. Belgium, the world champions, finished second with eight wins, uh, 52 goals for, and 29 against uh, a very good 23, or plus 23 goal difference there across what, 14 games. 28.66.7%. The Netherlands, with five wins, finished in third place. It's quite amazing out of the, the 14 games, and the Netherlands only managed to win five. Um, 
23 points in the end of 54.8%. Uh, Great Britain have finished fourth with six wins, one less than the Netherlands, but couldn't quite win the shootouts at all. Uh, five losses to them. Uh, we'll get to this in a second. 22 points and 52.4%. Argentina. Uh, according to the FIH, who played 14 games, they won six and lost five, uh, <laughs> scored 31, had 36 against them, so a goal difference of negative five as opposed to Great Britain's uh, plus four, 35, four and 31 against. Uh, 52.4% once again. Germany finished in sixth. They won four games, 20 points at 47.6%. Spain winning just the two games, 38.1% from their 16 points. And poor old New Zealand couldn't drag a win out in the end, unfortunately, finishing on 9.5% and just four shootout loss points to their name. Now, let's get back to Great Britain and Argentina and how this table finally ended up because much has been made in the aftermath of uh, those games on the weekend of the fact that uh, Argentina played one less game, as did Germany, the game that was cancelled and called off due to inclement weather or... There's, there's never been an exact reason given, has there, for that game being called off, whether it was because they ran out of time or whether there was actually dangerous weather that forced them not to play. Um, regardless, the FIH, under their rules, decided that both would be given uh, the score of nil all, and the match was called off. At the time, there was some uh, some conversations about what that would mean for the, the teams in particular, and... Now that has come up again with the uh, uh, the idea being that be, they weren't given the opportunity to score points that they should have had the opportunity to have scored and if they could have scored those points they would have been um, in the four and Great Britain was out. Now, Keely, do you have a view on the what's been going on and being said about this situation? Oh, it's uh, it's just like the FIH that this situation that people saw as a potential uh, actually did emerge at the end. Um, and I agree with the critics that this is a manifestly unfair uh, result. I'm really surprised that they couldn't uh, think of a better backup plan that they would have in the regulations and then um, you were talking about how the actual regulations were worded, and there was a little bit of wiggle in there with in, in terms of how the points were awarded. Isn't that right? Well, I would think so. Now, according to the FIH um, website, the Pro League re- regulations, um, during the season, teams will be ranked by the percentage of points gained relative to the maximum number possible to have obtained, and this is the interesting clause, at any given time, or phrase, sorry. Okay, so... In the case of two or more teams having an equal percentage, they will be ranked according to the regulation set below, and that's goal scoring, etc., etc. But they are ranked on percentage, and that percentage is uh, rel- rel- the number of points you have relative to the number you could possibly have gotten at any given time. Now, under the Pro League regulations, if a match is called off, uh, it's in the rules there, you will be given a match score of 0-0. But it doesn't actually mention um, in there how many points you will be awarded for a, uh, a particular, uh, if the game is called off. It just says that the match will be awarded 0-0 on TMS. When yeah, when, when you've set yourself up with a system with percentages... 
you you have a way to deal with this situation. Exactly. And you can continue with the percentages and say that Germany and Argentina only played 13 games, and the number of points they could have possibly earned, they were limited to only possibly earning yep. one point in that default game or that that um, that called off game. So at any given time, you, at any given time, you've got this possibility in there, and it it seems. Uh, really uh, not like the best choice. <laughs> How do I say this the right way? It wasn't the best choice to go about, I think, in, in this direction. And I wonder if there's going to be follow-up now for well, coming from Argentina. It's interesting when you consider that the whole reason this percentage stuff was started was because teams would be playing an uneven number of games across the season and it was going to be easier for us to determine who stood where on the table because, you know, they might have only played six and that team's played nine or whatever it was. And it is the one determining factor. It is not the points that you score, it's the percentage of points you score. That is the number one determining factor for ranking teams. Now, if you take in any given moment... any given time into that equation, uh, you get some interesting results. Now, according to the pools, as printed off TMS today, it says Argentina have played 14 games. But if you count up their wins, six, shootout wins, one, shootout losses, one, and losses, five, you come to 13. <laughs> and when you add up the, the points from the losses, wins, etc., you come up with 21 points. So a miraculous point has ended up in the, in the table there for Argentina. Um, not sure whether, how that comes about. Now, say we did use the model where they went, OK, they've only played 13 games. There's only 39 points available to them, not the 42 that's available to everybody else. That would have... Ad- that would have left Argentina with 53.8%, which is above Great Britain's 52.4%. So they would have made the finals, which is a very interesting way to look at it, and one that would have solved the the question straight up from the beginning. Just call the game off. We're, We're running a percentage system. It doesn't matter that you haven't played that game because we've got this wonderful system in place to sort that out. Yeah, it's it's really interesting when you look at the standings now on the website. You're talking about the percentages, but when I look at it, the percentage column is gone. They've they've taken it down. It's only pure points and things like that. So I I don't know how yours looks different from mine, but um, it's almost like they just wanted to wash that away and just say, let's let's forget that that whole percentage thing was even there. That's a good pun, that, considering the circumstances of the game, washing it away. But look, it's, it's something that has to be tidied up. And the other thing, we can argue and debate about this as much as we like, but both teams had five, well, five losses. So they, they both had plenty of opportunities to be in the finals without going through all this kerfuffle. And Argentina, if you saw the way they played in that last game, don't deserve to be there anyway. Yeah, either of the last two games. They just, yeah. you know, they were lucky to come back with uh, against the Dutch and get that tie and then the shootout. But, um, you know, they certainly weren't there in the first half of that game. And then they didn't show up for any of the Belgian games. So, yeah, it, it it is always in their hands. But there needs to be a more consistent and a more fair reflection of the team's performances. Um, the only thing you can say for this whole thing is that this, the system was 
mostly set at the beginning, and they would have had no idea who it could have impacted as it was going forward. They just didn't really think it through uh, all the way, which, granted, very difficult to do first year of a innovative and very different competition. So um, I'll, I'll give them a bit of a pass on that. It just really isn't yeah. uh, a great look. I just think uh, it's, it's a bit of a pity they didn't realize that they had the tools at hand to do the job yeah. for them. It would have made it very much easier for everybody involved. Let's have a quick break and come back with your predictions, Keely. You are with Totally Pro League. It's a final Pro League podcast for this season. However, we will be streaming live on this Saturday evening, well, evening for us, um, for the women's finals of the Pro League, uh, the reverse stick, Matt Adeline and I will be getting on YouTube about half an hour before the game and doing a bit of reverse stick stuff and previewing the finals as they happen and talking to people who've come around to join us for our Totally Pro League party. So look out for the links and all that sort of stuff on the social medias uh, for our YouTube page and if you're watching the game at home on Saturday night or on your phone or wherever you may be, um, Keep your YouTube page open and during the breaks you can tune in and listen to what we have to say if you like. But Keely, uh, let's get to the finals and first up, uh, the, the women's semi-finals will be played on Thursday the 27th in Amsterdam. Uh, the early game at 7.15pm local Amsterdam time, Argentina versus Australia. Bit of a grudge match in some ways, this one uh, for us. Argentina were always the bogey team for Australia back at the, the heyday of the Hockey Roos, and uh, I think this is going to be a very, very interesting game. Yeah, I really don't know how to pick this one, to be honest. Uh I mean, obviously on past results, and if you go on rankings, you're going to go with Argentina, but I think uh, Argentina's been very uh, consistent uh, throughout the campaign, but Australia has really grown into themselves together as they've, they've gone through this. Um, a lot of momentum was lost when they had their big break uh, at home, but when they came over to Europe, they seemed to you know, really start to get things together and, and play together better as a unit, so... Uh, I think they're playing closer to capacity than what we've seen in a while, and they're going to give Argentina a really good game. Um, so, uh, but on the whole, I think I'm going to go with uh, Argentina on this one and uh, pick pick the PAF team. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're probably right there. It's funny because I think the Australian girls are the one team that can take it up to the Dutch, because I'm assuming they're going to be in the final. Um, we've seen them earlier in the year beat them. We saw they they nearly got the chocolates at the last World Cup. They had a tremendous game against them there in the semi-final. And they were really the only team at that tournament that took it to the Dutch. Um, but, you know, if there was one team you didn't want them to be playing in a semi-final, it's probably Argentina. So uh, we just got our fingers crossed here in Oz that they can get up in over Argentina in that game by hook or by crook and just get to the final. I think they're a very big chance. Yeah, it's and this is the fun of this format is that... Um, we've never really had a tournament that is two games and knockout and, and it's, it's just do or die for both the games. So really anything could happen and you, you'd want to see something, you know, exciting and interesting go. So I, I think it's, yeah, it really could go either way, but, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick the experience. Uh, Argentina tends to do better over shorter tournaments. 
yeah. than the longer ones. So if you I if you ignore the fact that the Pro League's been five months, then Argentina <laughs> I think has the <laughs> has the edge in this one. Yeah, um, well, I've got to go for the Aussie girls because I'll I'll get booed if I don't. So um, totally fair. Yeah. Germany take on the Netherlands in the late game. That's being played at uh, 8 p.m. local time there in Amsterdam, 20 hundred hours. And a game you'd think the Netherlands would win on exposed form. Um, the Germans, they've been playing well. They've scraped into the finals. But I'm not sure they'll be happy about having to go to America last weekend. No, that would have been a real discouraging and feeling unnecessarily problematic and draining experience for them, for sure. Um, but I think the biggest thing that's really going to affect them is not having Horse for those two games. Yeah. It's, you know, just she's just so creative. And I think they really have relied upon her quite a bit uh, in order to generate penalty corner opportunities. So um, trying to get it together for the two games without her is, is going to be a really tough ask. And... Um, yeah, I just I don't see them challenging the Dutch in that game. Then the men's finals get underway on Friday the 28th uh, at 5.15pm local time and it's the number one ranked team Australia taking on Great Britain who just snuck in there at the last possible moment to pinch fourth spot. Uh, I think this game, Australia's just going to be too good for Great Britain. I mean... You don't, Great Britain's another team, you just don't know which one's going to turn up on any given particular day. And I think the discipline of the Australians is just going to be too much. And none of the games they've got close to them I've seen in the last 12 to 18 months, so I'm not expecting that to change on the weekend. I think that's a fair assessment. I totally agree with you. The Aussies are just so well organised. They know exactly what their roles are. Um, everybody clicks and everybody's giving every effort uh, in the games. So I think GB could, you know, make it interesting and they could do some some fun things. I've I really enjoyed watching GB play, I think, in, in over the 14 or the 13 games that they've played, 14 games. Um, you know, with the return of Ashley Jackson and Chris Griffiths and 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 seeing some of the new talent coming in. Uh, like, um, like, uh, Reese, uh, Smith and, and that sort of thing. But I, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a pretty comfortable win for the Kooks. Yeah. Um, I, can I say the Kooks? Is that yeah, okay? Is that a good name? Okay. The Cookers. <laughs> Cookers, okay. Cookers. Uh, we've got a couple of Cookerboroughs in the trees out the back here. We might, might take the noise for you one day and uh, send it over there. Oh, that'd be lovely. Yeah. I didn't know they were real birds, so that's fun. Oh, they are. They're a real, real bird. <laughs> They're a kingfisher. Anyway, enough of the biology lesson. Um, the second game getting underway at 8 p.m. and a replay of the last World Cup final. It'll be a ripping game. Belgium versus the Netherlands. Uh, I. T- oh, the Netherlands point? are in such good. F- uh, sorry, the the Belgians are in such good form at the moment. It's hard to go past them, despite their two 0 loss to Australia. They're when they turn it on, they just go bang, 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 and you could be three or four down in the blink of an eye. Yeah, they're they're so potent on attack, but but that's the thing. It's when they show up, and if there's a wobble, you know that the Dutch they're at home. They are again that mercurial group. If they if they if they smell blood in the water, it's it's going to be a tough go. And I think if anybody's got um, you know, if any of the teams had had a shot to upset them in the semi, it would have been them. So 
I, I, I still lean towards towards Belgium, which will be a disappointment for the home crowd, obviously. But I think it's really going to be a, a, a – it could go either way. It could, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Before I make my final tip, I want to hear Billy Backer's pre-game address to the team because I think a lot of it will will come from what Billy says. He's, he loves that pre-game address, and I love watching it. So we'll wait and see what happens there. <laughs> I, w- I wonder what the winning percentage is when he swears in the <laughs> in the huddle or when he doesn't, because I've noticed that he has toned it down in the last few games, I think. Anyway, I'm not an expert. Um, I usually tend to be able to pick out the swears pretty easily, but I, I think he has, uh, it's been said to him, hey, you know, you might want to be careful about, the, you know, think about the kids. And, yeah, which and is, I don't think it's played very well. I, I get I get that, yeah, the kiddies could be watching stuff. And... Um, for me, I like to see that stuff because it is a, a reflection of what goes on really within the heart of the team. And when the team starts thinking about the fact that it's going to be on television, it sort of loses a little bit. That's yeah, just, it would uh, But so be it. Uh, I'll look forward to it on um, Friday night. Then we get to the finals. Saturday the 29th, we'll be watching these during our Pro League party. It'll be third versus fourth in the women's. Uh, the loser of the two semi-finals. They'll be getting underway at uh, 2.30pm local time there in Amsterdam with the final underway at 5pm, one versus two. I'm hoping it's going to be Australia versus Netherlands. Keely thinks it's going to be the Netherlands versus Argentina. Probably the Germans will get there and stuff us both up, Keely. <laughs> wait and see what happens. What a shock. Oh, well, my tipping's terrible, mate. I'm, uh, we'll wait and see. Uh, the men's finals are on Sunday the 30th at the same time, uh, 2.30 for the three versus four game, and then the final underway at 5pm. Uh, it's all going to be on your local broadcaster. If not, good luck with FIH Live uh, at Wagoner Stadium. I'm really looking forward to these games, Keely, and I know you're going to be there. I know. I am so excited. I have never witnessed a hockey match in uh, the Netherlands. So uh, I didn't have an opportunity. I didn't get appointed to any uh, tournaments in in that country when I was uh, an international umpire. And um, it's legendary. Everybody talks about how amazing it is to, to be a part of that kind of scene and how amazing of a job that the organizers do in putting on the events there. So I'm absolutely giddy in thinking about, you know, being able to to be there. I don't know how good of a spectator or fan I'm going to be because I still do the whole (laughs) analysis thing and I'm going to be taking notes and doing my usual thing, but I'm going to try to relax a bit. It's been a long, long grind and and maybe the umpires deserve to not be watched (laughs) And, 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 and having their clips pulled out. Uh, by me during those big games but um, yeah it should be absolutely absolutely fantastic can't wait well we might try and um, put a call into you while you're over there for our pro league party Keely if if you're around we might see if we can't get you on the line and have a quick chat to us live there well if I'm in the west stands in the rain and there's no wi-fi we might be really stuck (laughs) (laughs) who knows we'll we'll see what happens there's 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 a lot of variables in play, so it, it could be anything. We'll definitely give it a shot, though. It should be good. And if there's anybody, any of your millions of listeners who are going to also be there, um, I encourage you send me a DM on the socials uh, at FH Empires, and we'll get in touch and arrange a pretzel and a soda pop at some point yes. uh, over the week. So that that would be a lot of fun to catch up and meet some new people. 
Oh, look, it's one of the great things about tournaments like this is the, the hockey people flock there and you know you can always bump in. You never know who you'll bump into. You bet. Look, Keely, thank you very much for your time once again on Totally Pro League and your input during out the Pro League season and for us on Reverse Stick as well. We missed you on the 100th episode. We didn't quite get our thank you out to you. We missed so many people. But um, Oh, no, you, you did say my name. You oh, totally dropped my name. And and then, yes, you did. I mean, oh. I'm sure you were too drunk to remember, but oh, I, I distinctly heard it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, congratulations on the big 100 episodes. And it, it was more than 100, really, because you had your World Cup dailies and you've had this TPL and yeah. uh, the Push Pass Pundits and, you know, just everything. Everything that you've been doing over the last, um, you know, two years to raise the media profile, I have listened. Just like I watched all the pro league games, I have listened to every single podcast now. So. Oh, you're a legend, Keely. Thank you very much. Oh, Everybody else, I am a total nerd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks again, Keely. And look, enjoy your time in Amsterdam with the FIH Pro League Finals. I can't wait. I'm excited about it. All hockey fans should be excited about the quality of the hockey they're going to be seeing this weekend. Yep, utterly fantastic, and I'm looking forward to your live streaming debacle. That's just going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks a lot, Kelly. We'll see you all later. Join us again for the Pro League party this Saturday night. Look out for us on YouTube. From me, John Lee, thanks for your company across the Pro League. It's been an absolute pleasure, and we'll probably be doing it again next year. Bye for now. (laughs) 